Hey my friends this is Nishant and welcome to another episode of the Nishant Garg show my mission is to help people get in touch with their emotions and feelings connect to themselves and being a source of healing my job on the show is to invite the world class experts to deconstruct the practices routines and habits to help you live a fulfilled and abundant life this episode is brought to you by my own friday newsletter every friday i share a newsletter which describes my new learnings and these learnings can be in the form of new books i'm reading different podcasts i'm listening to and new blogs i'm exploring to learn new topics such as trauma healing relationships and much more you can find the newsletter link at my website https://nishangarg.me and i s h a n t g a r g.me and today's guest is Cindy Wu. Cindy is the CEO of an 8000 employees company BTS B I T I S. It is a national heritage footwear brand in Vietnam. The brand is so well known that there are nearly all Vietnamese have likely worn BTS shoes at some point in their lives. Cindy also is known for driving the successful comeback of company amidst the fierce foreign brand competition. Much of this comeback is attributed to the marketing campaign of the BTS Hunter line in 2017 by collaborating with massive Vietnamese musical artists and promoting a message steeped in mindfulness and connection and the initiative transformed the brand back up to its current top spot as Vietnam's number one footwear company. Cindy is passionate about shoes. She also loves to contribute and create a happy loving compassionate and green community in this episode she talks about the meeting the basic necessities in life to build the foundation of happiness her interaction with his holiness the dalai lama travel tips to vietnam her grieving process after the death of her husband sitting on emptiness and much much more cindy welcome to the show hi Nishant, I'm so glad to be on the show with you. Thank you for being on the show all the way from Vietnam. So, Cindy, I wanted to ask you, how do you pronounce your name in Vietnamese? Okay, my name is Quyen, and my last name is Wu. So normally people call me Quyen Wu. In Vietnam, we put the last name in front. and then we have the middle name and the first name so in vietnamese way i pronounce my name is called also called bule queen yes then how did your name cindy come from and then and challenges and when i overcome those challenges then i become a better version of myself so i think and at the beginning when i'm in Um, high school and I went to Canada to study. I want to pick a name that people can pronounce me easily. And also, I think my life is about. So I choose the name Cindy. Also, means Cinderella. When did you go to Canada to study? Uh, it was back in 1998. And what did you study there? I stayed there for about six years. Yes. What kind of subjects did you study in Canada? I studied chemical engineering. We will come back to Canada in a while, and uh, I want to 
start, not a start, we have already started. I want to ask you about two books that you recommend. One of the books is The Art of Happiness by Dalai Lama. And second book is Old Path, White Cloud by Thiknathan. Could you tell us why do you recommend these two books? I think like for me, I when the first time I received the book, actually at that point in my life is that I really struggling to know about myself and my life. I don't know. I didn't know why I have a lot of things, uh, a successful career, successful life with uh, wealthy and with status, but I just feel very empty inside. And uh, and I, I don't feel happy at all. So when my friend gave me The Art of Happiness and I started uh, reading those, and in the book of The Art of Happiness, His Holiness, His Holiness Dalai Lama, he say one sentence that's really tricky me is called the purpose of life is happiness. It's actually in my in in my life when I grow up, nobody tell me about that. Like my teacher or my parents, they tell me have to be successful in life, which means uh, to have a good job and then well, to be wealthy and also make contribution to society. But that not really mean like on the happiness level of myself. So the book really does really help me. Okay, so what is the purpose of my life? Is it this is the purpose of His Holiness life and not my life? So I start researching on that and start to learn about happiness. So after I read the book, The Art of Happiness, um, then I also read another book. Uh, it's called Peace in Sydney Monk is one of the biggest teachers. And, and after that book, I read uh, On Path, White Cloud. The reason why I read that because I want to understand the the life of the Buddha and how he has found the way to happiness. Could you describe about your struggle or could you share the story of your struggle before reading the book, The Art of Happiness, if that makes you comfortable? Yeah, I think the problem is that in my life, it's come to the point that you have so many things and you just don't appreciate anything. It just come to you very easy, and and then and then you come to the point that anybody doing something for you, you just take for granted and you don't appreciate that uh, because like you're so successful and everything come to you so easily. And also at the personal level. Um, I do have the mistrust in relationship because like one of the person that I really is my idol and then he did something that really made me, cause me a big mistrust in the person and also mistrust about the, the, the good thing about life. So, so that's why with that struggling is come with the unhappy because like what you project on that person and expect from that person is turn out He's not that way. So, so, so I think that's really a collapse in your belief. And you, you start 
just really focus on yourself and and really know now at this point in my life what can I change. What did you change in your life at that point? I think it's really a reality to the happiness. So uh, one of the thing that when I Google happiness and and I found several things. So this this is the thing that I found. We have all the condition to be grateful in this world, but just we don't we are not aware of it, and we tend to take things for granted. For example, he said that. When you wake up in the morning, it's just like you have this gift of 24-hour days. And that is just a very, very generous gift already and beautiful gift. So we take things for granted because of that. We don't feel grateful every day we wake up. But then you know that if the other person, they are, they, that he's or she is sick and on the deathbed, that is just, tremendous big gift so really we really have to cultivate this kind of gratefulness and then since I start that cultivate gratefulness is really helped me to bring up the happiness level because I start to seeing things that my life is not um, half empty glass but actually half full you know you have a lot of things to be grateful for and and also in that part is that I found that and Sutmikhan monk, they talk a lot about happiness and and how to cultivate happiness. And also at that time, like Bhutan really measured the success of the company, uh, the, of their countries based on the level of happiness of their citizens, uh, which we call GNH. So at that time, I make the wishes. In this lifetime, I have to fulfill these three wishes. First, to meet His Holiness Dalai Lama in person. And the second, to meet Thich uh, Nhat Hanh And the third, to visit Bhutan to see how they measure the happiness, how they build the GNH model. What is GNH? Cross-national happiness. So it's a, it's a substitute to G- GDP. Other countries uh, measure gross domestic product, but Bhutan measure the success of their countries based on the happiness. You met Dalai Lama Technathan and visited Bhutan. I would love to ask you, what did you learn? Or could you share any conversation with Dalai Lama and Technathan that may have had big impact on you in your life? I think His Holiness Dalai Lama has really gave me a, a lot of sentence, a, a lot of wisdom work that's really helped me to transform my life. So first thing is when he talked in the book, The Art of Happiness, he talked about the purpose of life is happiness. So that is one thing. And the first year I met him, there is one sentence that's really really, really transformed my life. He said that whatever you do, the motivation must to benefit on sentient beings. And I really meditate on that every day, every single day of my life, every single moment. To see that in any any moment, what can I do to benefit the, the people I surround with or the environment. And the third 
is he really, the, the second year when I met him, he gave me an, another sentence. If you want to help and transform the society of Vietnam, you must focus on the education of the heart, uh, which he's mean to, to educate the young children so they can become uh, more mindful, more happy and more and kinder. And I think that is important on what he's saying. Regarding to Thich uh, Nhat I think one of the benefits that I, I find tremendous help for me is that the practice, the, sing, the single moment and single day practice of mindfulness is really, really helpful in the way how we function day-to-day activities. We all want to meet the <laughs> Holiness Dalai Lama. I, how did you meet with him? What events were leading up to meeting him? I think this life is like really abundant and I really believe in the law of attraction. You just send out your wishes to the universe and somehow the universe is going to respond to you. So... <laughs> <laughs> This is very true. I'd say anything I send a wish for is going to come true. This is very, in a way, very creepy, but it's true. So my friend that he's on Facebook and he saw that I I really share a lot of his holiness, uh, his holiness, Dalala Mike quote. And then when happened, there is a group of people who are going to go to India to meet His Holiness Dalai Lama, and they organize it every year. So he starts sharing that information for me. And right away that I decided I'm going to go, I don't know what the program or what the schedule of the, of the trip is. I just jumped in that, and I just made the decision that I have to go and meet him. Yeah. So it's a really powerful and very interesting, um, which <laughs> I think that is the trip that really transformed my life because that is the first time I ever met um, a being that is so kind and so compassionate. And when you're in his presence, you can feel that love aura around him. And, and that is very magnificent. How old were you when you met him? I think at that time I'm about 35 years old, yes. You mentioned that you meditate on this line from Dalai Lama, and I will reiterate this. If you want to be happy in this lifetime, make sure your motivation is to benefit all sentient beings. This is what the Holiness Dalai Lama told you. So when you meditate on this, what comes up on the surface usually for you? I really see the law of interdependence and you know this all of the beings we just really try best of our everyday and we have the nature of suffering and the nature of happiness inside of us and whether we can help each other to create a better work and a happier work is to really help each individual to become the the better version of themselves, the happier version of themselves. Would you mind describing the law of interdependence to my audience? 
I think we all connected. For example, even like Nisham, you in Texas, but somehow we connected. And and maybe the one thought I sent out will have the effect on you, but we just don't see it. When you see the the COVID nineteen happen, we just think it's a China thing. You know, it's just China, but it's so it spread so fast, and it's come to Vietnam just within a month. And come around the world within a month, and 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 we just like uh, that is really something that manifests the law of interdependence. <laughs> I don't have to explain it. We all in that together, and now we have to fight the coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> Do you agree with me on that? Because it's just I do. <laughs> I do agree with you, and I am having this conversation with you. With the beginner's mind, not trying to judge anything, just trying to be curious and learn more and bring good practices and tools for our audience. Yeah. So you talked about the law of interdependence, and I have seen your Facebook post talking about impermanence. Could you describe impermanence and its motive role in the arena of Buddhism? Mm-hmm. I think I think like our life is changing every single second that we're talking, and with the interaction that we have. So maybe I, after this conversation, I'm a, uh, become a Cindy with a little bit of Nishan already, <laughs> 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 because we all related somehow, right? And 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 when we change instantly and we interact and we change so impermanence is a very very uh, can be a very very good thing and very and can be a not good thing but it's just a law when we have to embrace one thing in my life that I experienced impermanence very clearly is when my husband passed away and and then he's just gone so quick and you just didn't know what happened because just when you wake up and then he disappears. Um, and then at that moment, you really ask yourself, like, have you learned and accept the law of in the, in, uh, impermanence good enough uh, to really embrace us? So I think at those difficult moments, you really you really test yourself and on your understanding about the universe and and the nature. Yeah. In my preparation of this conversation, I did not find that you, your husband died. And I'm sorry to hear that. Are you comfortable talking about what happened? And how did you deal with the circumstances and grief process? I think my husband, he's a wonderful man and he's very wise. Um, and I think it's just he's the hope, the, the ideal husband that I hope for in my life. I wish for and I really dream him into reality. This is something that I have to. So when we figure out he had the stomach cancer and 16 months later, he passed away. And... I think that's a tragic is that because we just did for about four months 
And then after that four months, like we figure out he has stomach cancer. And six months, uh, 16 months later, he passed away. During that process, I really have to practice unconditional love because, like, to accompany him and to take him, taking care of him for his the most difficult uh, path, the process that he went. And that's what you learn from Buddhism and learn from His Holiness Dalai Lama or Titipan. You really have to put into practice to love him unconditionally and to accommodate him and really with a very, very compassionate heart to to deal with it and, and, and accept the reality, overcome on the, on the challenges and accommodate a, a, a human being until he passed away. So I think that is the most of the most beautiful period of my life because I I can do that for my husband. And and that process really give you a lot of strength and courage because you know you 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 know the ability. You know that you can do a lot of things and you can help another center. So that is the very, very beautiful very, very powerful, powerful process of my life. Yeah. How did you practice unconditional love? And uh, I'm sure this is very challenging for a lot of people, including me, to love somebody unconditionally. So how did you do that? Oh. If this question makes sense to you. <laughs> I think it's really re- relating. Every day I wake up, I just feel so glad that I still be able to wake up with him and he's in front of me. And I just always imagine that if I'm in his position, if i in his condition, how do I feel? And of course, I will want somebody can support me if I'm just in his condition, right? So, and you're facing with a human being and you see that, okay, what can I do to help him? Because... Okay, first is he's my husband, but also at individual level that we really in that together and I have to make the most out of it and accept the conditions of he is and, and to see what I can help him. Do you have any advice to our listeners to practice unconditional love? How can we practice more of this kind of unconditional love? I think one thing is the acceptance of that person for his strong and his strength and weakness. When you be able to accept it fully and not thinking anything about yourself, then you're gonna you're gonna see that what other thing you can contribute for that person. It's not easy when we we I, I don't know, like I, I think like in the in the way that we bring up or the society function, you always see that what other thing, what other value the other person can bring you. So you can tend to have the certain expectation on that. And you just you just expect that, okay, I, I be good to this person, then he has have the obligation to be good to myself. Then then we have that kind of expectation. But when you're facing with the condition that person unable to bring the, you the, um, the goodness, 
then you really have to question about the status of relationship. What, what I, what like how we in that together, and and is that true love or is it just conditional love? Love that you actually ask for something in return, but but you can also change your mind regarding that. Change your thinking to really okay. I can love you unconditionally. I can because I be able to give you that love and that care because I can do that. How difficult was it for you to accept that? One thing about me is I accepting very normally. I'm gonna have just one or two days. <laughs> And and sometimes it's difficult, then I cannot have a week. But really, in that quiet moment, that I okay, first I really write it down to see what are the thoughts in my mind, and and because that thought's gonna give you that emotion, whether it's happiness or suffering. Then you always have the abil- ability to create that, to recreate that thought. And and change the pattern of your thoughts, also change your emotion. Because I sometimes you in the that that moment, and you cannot change the situation. You just have to accept it. It's the reality. And the faster the faster you accept the reality, then you can have the better solution on that. Do you write your thoughts and emotions on a? Daily basis, or yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm journaling every day. Yes. Could you guide us about your journaling process? Is it based on some set of questions or free flow? I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Okay, so every day, so this normally I'm gonna do is that I'm gonna um, I write. I tend to write in the very early morning, so I wake up around three three thirty. Or four o'clock, and then I'm gonna start with journaling and writing on gratitude. So I have this um, habit that write now about five things I'm grateful the day before, and and maybe the day before until up to the point that I write, I, I write my journal. And if there is something difficult that day, at that moment, I will write it down uh, the the emotion. How I feel, and and also what are the the thinking behind that, and 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 just just roll it out because like when you write it out, you make yourself clearer, and you always have a chance to to overview it, to really look at it again. So because like when you write out, sometimes it's not very clear, and then. You have to have some distance to review about it as well to make yourself clear. Do you have any other practice as part of your morning rituals? I do have the mindfulness practice, so I am have the sitting meditations for about thirty to forty-five minutes. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so I would love to ask you about the difference between mindfulness and mindfulness meditation. I am still confused. And a lot of people are confused. Could you help us uncovering our confusion? Okay, I I think the mindfulness that we have to carry out is every single minute of our day. 
if we can do that to that level, that is just awesome. That means you're always aware the whole day. And then we have mindful sitting, the meditation. So you can sit and you meditate different things. Maybe you meditate on emptiness and just regulate. You meditate about the law of the nature, for example, interimpermanence uh, or law of attraction. And you can uh, have the uh, loving kindness meditation to send love to everybody to send up to the whole uh, world. That's all the practice you can do between that 30 to 45 minutes. Meditate on emptiness is that you really just, okay, so this is this is the practice that I found. It's like something I just want my brain to be empty, not thinking about anything, just totally blank and just focus on my breath in and breath out. And if there the thought that arrive and really disturb you, you just have to remind yourself to come back to your breath, come back to your breathing, and and then and then you can meditate on uh, emptiness, like uh, for example, law of interdependent. Everything depends on each other. Yeah, that is my practice. Yeah. If somebody is starting new in meditation practice, could you tell us some of the resources? on the internet or in the form of books to really get started on meditation and stick with it? I think we can all start with about two minutes or five minutes of mindfulness. Um, you can choose a very good book. It's Peace in Every Step and it's very easy book. And you read it, you can you can be mindful every single minute, even you dishwash. Or... At this moment, I'm talking to you, Nishan. Is also a practice of mindfulness because I'm really focused on what uh, your questions and what you're saying. Yeah, so that I can see that. Yeah, that is that is very easy. We all can do that. It's just we have to have we just have to have the focus on the practice and 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 gradually we can become more mindful about our surrounding any anything that happens. Uh, in single moment, yeah, I, I think I would. If I recommend, I say that the the book uh, "Peace in Every Step" is a very very good book to start with. It's very short and it's straight to the point. Peace in every step. And in the beginning, it's maybe a little weird first because you have to slow down to really practice mindfulness. But gradually, you can speed up, but you still remain mindful. Yeah. Cindy, I want to go deeper into the topic of happiness. The Holiness Dalai Lama, Thich Nhat they say that the purpose of life is to be happy. They have attained that level of enlightenment. But for common people like you and me and others, how do we get to that level or how do we understand the basic foundation of happiness? Because there is a lot of misery, suffering. How do we be happy or how do we cultivate that level of happiness or do some basic level of happiness to just move forward in life? I know this is a broad question I'm throwing at you. <laughs> you can feel free to answer in any way. I think we all can start with be grateful first. Because when you be grateful, you start looking at your surroundings. 
and you're aware that, oh, this is the conditions of happy. Happiness is here. It's not just somewhere else. And I have a lot of things to be happy about. You know, I think so. Gratefulness is a very, very powerful that really, that's really helped you in your first step in this happiness journey. And then after you cultivate that gratefulness, you can practice on mindfulness because mindfulness can bring you the, the, the awareness, can bring up your awareness and you're aware, you're enlightened. Enlightened on, also means you're awake all the time. That you you awake to all the conditions that happening, your mind is very alert. So so I think like start with something like gratefulness. If you find sitting meditation can be difficult, washing dishes in mindfulness can be that difficult for you. Then you can start with gratefulness first. Yeah. Yes, and according to you, Cindy, what makes a good life? What could be the basics of living a good life? I would say this, the, the first year when I met His Holiness Dalai Lama, he said that um, your motivation in life must to benefit on sentient being. I think that's really, really bring you the, the biggest joy because like you not just focus on yourself, but you actually focus, you bring your focus on everybody around you. And that gives you a big, big, big motivation. Because you just focus on yourself, you just have yourself and and you just try to improve yourself. But then when you have the motivations that you look at, oh, there are a lot of people that need this and I have to really, really work harder and to bring the benefit to own. So so I really, really resonate with him on that. Yeah. And this really give, give me a lot of strength and courage to do what I think is right for the community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, I would love to shift some gears over here. And I want to ask you about Vietnam. What is it like to live in Vietnam in terms of culture, society, food, anything? How is life over there? <laughs> Vietnam is so abundant. <laughs> the nature is really helping us. You can go to the beach, you can go to the mountain. The food is delicious. The people very friendly. The climate is just like wonderful, you know. It's just like we don't have, we just have a bit of cold season in, in the north. But in the south, I live in the south and every day the, the climate. And it's just like very nice weather. So... I feel that we're blessed in Vietnam. I also visited uh, Nishan in India. I also love India as well. I think in India is maybe hotter in Vietnam, but I think it's a very uh, culture-rich culture country. Yeah. If somebody wants to, if somebody listening to this podcast is thinking, I want to travel to Vietnam. So, Cindy, what should I keep in mind? What should I prepare for before traveling to Vietnam? Anything I should keep in my mind? Open-minded. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's very important because like when open-minded is a very good thing when you just, and curiosity whenever you visit any country. And you just, you just enjoy being with the people and get into the flow to see how people there they live uh, without judgment 
and just enjoy it. I think Vietnamese people are very friendly, but just to wash out your pocket, maybe somebody steal your money. So <laughs> you just have to be careful of that. But otherwise, it's just like very safe and very uh, friendly and and cheerful country. Cindy, if somebody asks you that, what do you do on a daily basis in terms of work? Then how do you respond? I I think it's not really about work because every day I think, oh, what I can do today to really benefit people around me. At our company, we have about eight thousand uh, people working with us, so the work is really a lot of fun because a lot of challenges uh, and. Every every day you go out, you say, "Oh, what are the things that I can solve today? You know, I, what I can do to to really benefit on the people." So it's just re- really really interesting work because, like at Bitties, we not only selling shoes, retailing shoes, but we also producing through shoes. So it's really end to end process that you. Source the material. You you cut, make the material, uh, make into shoes, and you distribute it to the hand of consumer. So a lot, a lot of processes and a lot, a lot of challenges because we have so many people and 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 the task is 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 difficult enough to give you a lot of challenge to really overcome and. To solve it, so I, I I think my job is really stimulate uh, stimulate me a lot. Yeah. You are the CEO of a footwear brand company, Bitis B I T I S, and you are talking about the challenges and the fun part. Could you share any example of your recent challenges in this company? Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest challenges I have to bring up in the COVID nineteen, the Corona, we in the month of March and April last year, we facing of our revenue decrease fifty percent, and our company has been thirty nine year in business, and that is ever the first time that we see that we really facing the threat on the survival and sustainability of our company. Because my responsibility is with eight thousand worker working with us, so if we don't have the revenue, if we don't have the sales, how we pay and how the life of the employee and their family is if we don't if we don't overcome it. Because at that time in Vietnam, we we in the process of quarantine, and the the country. Locked out about thirty days, so it's really challenging. But I think at that time we really share. We right away organized a, a, a team that we together with on the uh, middle level manager and also senior manager to to build a team that how we solve and and respond to the COVID nineteen and. One of the thing, one of the challenge come at that time. We have to save the job of our employee, not let anybody, not fire anybody, and and try to to really uh, provide people with job. 
so. But then we also cutting back in the working hour. But and then we explain to each individual employee on the difficulty and the challenges of the the company facing, and also explain to them about the procedure on how they can protect themselves and create the activity within our company to bring up the mental health during that time because people facing with a lot of fear on their health and also their job. So we really have a lot of in- initiative around that to support the whole community of 8,000 people. I will come back to the employee part. And Cindy, I want to ask you about your personal mental health in that crisis. Being the CEO of a 8,000 employees company, How did you deal with your own mental health and state of mind in that crisis? At the beginning, when we don't know what Corona is about, I think everybody really frightened because we don't know about that and 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 how how to do with it. So at the beginning, I really tell everybody have to be patient and and to follow exactly what the government tell us to do. If they tell us not to um, not to meet up, not to organize event, then we stop on the event and we just follow exactly what the government tell us to do. If they tell us put on mask, we're gonna put on mask. If they tell us to measure temperature, we're gonna measure the temperature. Just follow exactly and to be calm and patient and watch what happens. So at the beginning, that's really. That's really the strong message that we uh, bring out. Um, and lucky for Vietnam is that because that we obey to the uh, listen to the government advice and uh, and get regulations. So actually, in the whole in Vietnam, we control the coronavirus and COVID 19 in a very very excellent way. So until now, we we still reap the benefit of that. Yeah. You mentioned that. You mentioned that you explained or your team explained to all the employees about the situation that they have to cut back the hours. Mm-hmm. How easy was that if it was easy or how difficult was it to explain the situation to each and every employee? I think one other thing is that we, we say is this is what happened. This is the reality. And as a community, We really focus on how to save job for everybody to make the whole community safe. So this is the decision that we we have is that we have to cut back in the the the, the working hour because we don't have enough order to produce and also we don't have enough customer to come to the shop and and shop for the shoes. So. So that's why this is the whole decision, and we explain to them about the contact. Everybody is facing the same thing, and and this is the decision that we're making to protect the 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 survival of the whole community. Yeah. When you say that cutting the number of hours, does it mean that you are cutting the employee salary as well? Yes, this means cutting the employee salary as well. But I I think in the sense that we explain it in a very clearly way why we have that decision yeah and i love how you explain that the why if we can explain why to our employees then 
we will get least resistance and less pushback so how do you make this decision in your life in your professional life do you have rules framework to come to a better decision making and as tony robbins says the quality of our life is depending on the quality of decisions we make i i i really at that time i really think what is the important thing regarding that because like with the covid-19 the whole country is facing the difficulty and the government is try best to control the whole situation what we can do at at the business to help the government is to keep people have the steady income when we cut them what okay so we're not gonna fire anybody or uh, cut job or lose job we still keep people with their income that so they still have the income in the way that we have helped the whole country in dealing with coronavirus crisis and also we also as by people now we cut your income. actually we have a lot of initiative to help people to function their everyday with that kind of income for example we we organize the, the zero dollar market so provide food buy rice vegetable and then and and that we we ask for donation for that and also so each everybody that really have money they gonna donate for that and then the people that don't have the money because the the loss of income they can come and get that food so we keep the certainty we keep the basic level of of everyday functions so the people can function normally and we actually cha- teaching them on how to use those money on budget planning and and how to protect their health during that time we organize like nutrition workshop we organize saving money workshop we organize like a uh, positive outlook workshop so those workshop to help the people yeah and this is very interesting how you manage the mental health of your employees and provide the basic necessities in terms of food water and shelter in the crisis moments and doing this kind of work for 8000 employees is commendable cindy and i have a follow up question on this decision making process whenever you make big decisions like this as being the ceo of a big company do you get a second opinion or a feedback from your from your subordinates from your peers how do you do that actually we are very lucky because at bts we we implement the happy bts which based on the gnh model cross national happiness model from bhutan that they that whenever we make decision we're going to look at the nido men uh, of a gnh to really to really think the the decision to make and and we also discuss together as a senior level always we have the consensus whenever we decide something we're going to bring big that we're going to bring it up and we discuss the whole team so are we aligned on this anybody have any other opinion or any uh, people have have a recommendations or extraordinary ideas so we always bring this to discussions at a team level yeah Cindy, what are your roles and responsibilities 
as the CEO, what does a normal day look like in your professional world? So in the morning, I have the practice. I wake up about 3.30 to 4. And then I can, um, I, I'm journaling, I writing, uh, reading and meditate and then have breakfast and exercise breakfast and then go to work at eight o'clock and then end my work around five o'clock. I don't socialize a lot. I don't go to events, but I will spend time if the person really needs me one-on-one because I really love the connection between one-on-one. And, and because at that time, at that networking one-on-one is really connect us in, at the individual level, very deep. And I, I normal, I value the, the quality of relationship and the quantity of relationship. So it's very normal. And, and it's, uh, it's just, I, I think I, I, I work in a way that really brings joy and in very harmony. I love the work. Uh, the work called uh, work life integrated. So my work is not just something else, and my life is totally different. Another story is really work life is really integrated, and I will see how to balance those, which gonna bring the benefit to everybody. Yeah. What are your main responsibilities or job function as a CEO? I will think that I I I describe as a create the key condition for the success of my colleagues. So whether anything that I can do to improve the system, to improve the tool, to give them the, the, the good tool to bring their success, then I'm the one that come and do that. Any, any business initiative. And also I'm really focused on HR because I, I, I'm really, really focused on the well-being and, and the de- development of, of my co- of my colleagues, yeah. What, what are the common misconceptions that people have about the roles and responsibilities of a CEO of a successful company? <laughs> Any anything comes to your mind? I think people tend to be top down. They tend to be okay. This company is successful because of me. But I think I'd rather put my mindset is I work with my people. I always have the support with my people. It's just not me versus them, but it's actually we in that together. And my role is that to direct the people in, 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 in the right direction to make sure the whole community is going to be successful. So I'm more thinking of that. I like what other thing I can do to support this community. Yeah. And then how do you deal with criticism, negative feedback, if anything comes back to you? Oh, I really love those. (laughs) (laughs) Because because that is the chance to give me to do better. I really, because whenever we do something, it's like we tend to have this blind spot and we think, okay, this direction direction is is correct and, and we just do it. But then if some people feedback, whether it's negative or positive, uh, we really have to listen first, and then we see if they are right or like they make the point or not. If they make the point, and we start looking, oh, what can I do to change it? Because this is gonna bring more benefits to the community. And if they are more negative and not constructive, then we can tell them, oh, this is not the way to give feedback. 
that you can change the way you give feedback. And let me explain to you how we come, how we come with these decisions and why you should not react in this way. Um, and 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 really, really explain and communicate with that person to arise at some point that we all agree that this is the action we want to make. Yeah. And what is the right way to give feedback? I think like so. Your your the, the intention is very important. The intention is whether is to prove yourself right or wrong. Our intention is to really want the improvement of the process or the community. But then you can sense it very right when you talk to the person. You know what is his intention. Yes, got it, Cindy. And I have a few more questions before we wrap up our conversation. So. I want to ask you about your passion for shoes. And uh, in this, in the preparation, I found that you are very passionate for shoes. So, how did you find your passion for shoes? I think I was born in the shoes company. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us more about it. Yeah, so this is a family business, and I was born into that. Um, and you just have to love that to be in this industry. And one of the things I'm passionate about shoes is that shoe protect you. You know, uh, a, a good pair of shoes can bring you anywhere in the world. And they can be a very good friend of you. Yes. What is good pair of shoes for you? Comfortable, easy, and, and fit with your style. Yeah, you know, it just can bring the best out of you. <laughs> How many do you have in your closet? Practice So whenever, but a shoe is something like um, shoe and and clothing is something that I exclude. But I'm really whenever I buy something, I really question this is what the functions, what I can learn from that shoes, or what I can learn on that piece of clothes. It's really about learning, you know. It's just like sometimes people do things very interesting, and you can learn much from that. And I was digging in your Instagram and you are very stylish for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when I wear the clothes that my friend make it. Because it's really give me this uh this connections between at individual level. And I wear the clothes that my friend make it. I'm very proud of. Yeah. And I'm looking at my notes right now. In the very beginning of this conversation, you mentioned that you studied in Canada. So why did you go to Canada to study? Um because my aunt and my grandma is there and I and I'm so glad that I studied chemical engineering because I think it's engineering give you a very very good background on science and to start with any job and to build things. So and I can see that killer combination of chemical engineering, mindfulness, happiness, Buddhism, minimalism. This is a great combination of left brain and right brain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cindy, it has been a great conversation with you. So where would you like our listeners to find you and learn? I think in Vietnam, we, we are in Facebook. So a lot. So people can find me on my Facebook page. I, I think that's where you get more information about our update, update whether in uh, about my personal life and also the work of the company uh, where we try to create a happy workforce where each individual is uh, happy about their work and also have a chance to develop themselves and and have a chance to work with uh, projects that really 
benefit the society. Yeah. Great. I will link everything in the show notes. And I would like to conclude this conversation by one of your quotes from Twitter. The state of mind of the wine drinker has a lot more to do with the enjoyment of the wine than the wine itself. So thank you, Cindy, for this beautiful conversation. Yeah, thank you, Nishan, for your interesting questions. And I feel that uh, very, very happy to connect with you uh, in individual level. And I hope that we can meet in the future and and this can uh, foster to bring something we don't know yet what to come. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, Cindy. Yeah, thank you, Nishan. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode today. If you did enjoy this, please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or you can visit https colon slash slash nishangarg.me N-I-S-H-A-N-T-G-A-R-G dot me. You can also share this episode with your loved ones to help them live a fulfilled life. You are not alone in this journey. We all struggle in life. There is no shame in talking about it. I go through my highs and lows. I get depressed and these practices help me in living a resilient life. You can also do this. You've got this. Don't judge yourself. You are doing the best you can. And thank you so much again. Thank you.